So, good evening, everyone. Tonight, you, no, it's not a good evening. Oh, louder? You want me to holler more? Yes. Okay, I'll holler more. I'll use from the diaphragm like my high school choir coach told me. Um, so, tonight, we have a very special guest, a dear friend and fellow seminarian with me at Bishop Kemper, um, Mr. C.J. Duffy, who is going to share with us tonight about black sacred music. So, without further ado, Mr. C.J. Duffy, I turn it over to you, and thank you so much again for your time, talent, and knowledge. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you, Jen, for that lovely introduction. Um, I'm C.J. Duffy. Uh, maybe you've seen me, maybe you're not, but I, uh, my home parish is St. Augustine's um, Episcopal Church over in Benton, uh, over there in Benton, so Boulevard. So, I'm glad to be here tonight. Um, to talk about black sacred music. So let's open the conversation. I hope that we can have a conversation, right? Um, those of you online, thank you for being here as well. Uh, but if we're going to learn about black sacred music, we've got to have a conversation about it, and more particularly, we've got to hear it. So tonight is going to be uh, uh, an evening that we're going to hear black sacred music and we're going to engage with it. So we're going to ask questions about how does it make you feel? Um, are there connections to this music that you didn't know? Um, but first, before we get there to listening to it, I want to just introduce you to um, what Black Sacred Music is. So I've titled this presentation Black Sacred Music because spirituals are just one aspect of black American spirituality and church life. This presentation is broad and brief specifically. I just want you to be, to, 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 to be honest about that, that I am not a musician. So you can't ask me questions about music theory, right? <laughs> or chords or anything. Um, I learned to sing African-American music because it is a communal music. So you learn it in community. So I learned to sing in community, so I think I can hold a tune. I am not, <laughs> I'm not the best singer, but I think I can hold a tune, but this is going to be brief and broad, um, and my intention is, is to just introduce you, plant those seeds to some content, spark your curiosity um, that you can go deeper, but I won't be exploring in depth some of the, the complexities of black church music or, or its nuances, um, or it's ambigu ambiguities, because we just don't have time, right? <laughs> It'll take all night for us to do that. However, there is a long and rich history of black sacred music, and has, it has deep influence on American and global musical cultures. Let me just tell you, you've heard black music, and you just didn't know it. Because it's everywhere. It's in jazz, it's in blues, it's in rock. It's in every musical genre and has influenced music in America, in the Caribbean, and across the world. And that is a beautiful thing. That's the global impact of this type of, of music. It's important, I think, to acknowledge that black music, uh, black sacred music is not monolithic, right? Um, you're gonna get a diverse range of music 
in this in the study of black sacred music. It's not monolithic. It's not monolithic, nor is it monochromatic. It's diverse. It's mixed. It's uh, multifaceted. It's layered with complexity, and it it in that complexity is what shapes its beauty, right? It's what makes it what makes it so so intriguing. So. If we're going to enter this conversation, we've got to figure out what, what black church music is, right? Uh, we've got to define it. So this is my definition, and I hope that you'll engage me a little bit to let it be our working definition tonight. I, I argue that black sacred music is the music of the African diaspora in North America. The term sometimes called gospel music or gospel includes psalms, hymns, Negro spirituals, choir, praise and worship, and gospel hip-hop. So that's really broad on purpose. <laughs> it's really broad on purpose. Um, but when we start to try to define and nail down what black church music is, it's all of those things, and it arrived to us here in America from Africa, right? Um, African enslaved individuals brought with them uh, their music, their heritage, and so I think what's important and what is often lost in these types of conversations is that those who came here in slavery had religious sensibilities. They had culture. They didn't come what I would call tabula rasa. They didn't come as a blank slate. They came having tasted freedom. They came with an understanding of God, with a ideology of God and worship and music and sounds, and they brought it with them. Just let that, let's sit with that for a little bit. That people who came here in a boat to be enslaved knew something about themselves already and knew something about God. Rather that was a Christian God or not, they knew something about God. I call that African cosmology. Let's, let's tease that out a little bit. What is African cosmology? Because I think that is important to understand if you're going to understand this music. So in the African cosmology, there isn't a dissonance between the profane and the holy. There is an interrelatedness between profane and holy. So there isn't a dividing line between the secular and the sacred. They go together. There is an interrelationship, an interplay of these ideas, of these notions. So when I listen to music, I'm not listening to it as secular or sacred. I'm listening to it as connected to the world, to those who are around me, and to God. So let that play around in your mind a little bit. Any questions before I go ahead? African cosmology grounds black sacred music as being worship to God and a collective notion of survival for the entire community. And I think that that's what makes this music tradition so powerful is because it can bring people together because it is a shared collective experience. So you just don't celebrate black sacred music by yourself. It involves community. It involves relationship. 
if you're going to get the power of this music. It involves us getting it together. All right? Any questions? Okay. I said a lot, and that was a lot to unpack, so I don't hope I lose you. So, so, yeah. This is, this is kind of what you were saying in a sense, but just to underscore it, what I, what I hear in what you just said is the contrast between performative and participatory music, sacred or not, but particularly sacred music. I mean, out of some traditions, it's much more, there are people up there singing and I'm watching them and listening to them. It feels, I mean, of course there are choirs and such, but it feels like it's a much more participatory experience that you're describing that also then bonds the community in that experience and in their life together, right? It's not Absolutely. watching someone do this, it's we're all doing this and they're leading me. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's deeply performative and it, it's deeply relational because we are in this together. I heard you. We're in this together. We're worshiping God together. We are struggling. We are resisting. We're fighting for freedom and liberation together because the backdrop of black sacred music is the quest for freedom and liberation. Right? I sing because I'm happy. That's a line from a song. I sing because I'm free. That is from the African-American church, that we're singing collectively. We're singing as a participant in the struggle and in the quest for liberation. So that is the phenomenon of black sacred music, is that even if you don't know the words, you can join in and be a part of resistance and liberation, because that is what grounds this music. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it also, isn't it also that the singing is not necessarily cerebral, but it's the whole body, the whole person that's involved? Yes, yes, it is the whole person. So we clap our hands, which is something we don't often do in the Episcopal Church. <laughs> <laughs> we clap our hands. We're using our mind. We're using our bodies. We're using our hands. We're using our feet. So before the black church was able to get equipment, because it was expensive, there was hand clapping, foot stumping, and you use what you could. So I grew up in uh, what you may not know about me. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Um, so I am not a cradle Episcopalian. I made it over here by the grace of God. Um, and I love it. God knows I do. Um, uh, because I have a home in the Episcopal church. Um, but what is remarkable about the Pentecostal experience is that you can bet your bottom dollar when you go into that church, you're going to see a tambourine, some drums, a lot of hand clapping, a lot of foot stumping. And the reason that is, is because one, this was only the, one of the few places you could express yourself and be okay. That no one would look at you crazy, no one would look at you strange, because everybody understood the struggle of being uh, segregated, of being uh, enslaved, or struggling through the day, or struggling through the week. And this was a time where we could, one, share together and celebrate together about what God is doing in us and the hopes of liberation. So I remember growing up, we didn't have a, a lot of equipment. 
Um, and the old man at the church, he, he, he cut some, some, some four by fours into little squares. And you would learn to clap them together. And they made noise. And, <laughs> and made noise. And you had to be careful not to pinch your finger between them. But it was celebratory. It meant something. Um, and so what I'm trying to really drive home is that this music is grounded in liberation and freedom. It's grounded in a quest for liberation and freedom. And so that's what drives this genre. Um, and so another thing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, two things. One, I was thinking about uh, the culture, uh, the theological culture of the those people who were enslaved, they were probably mostly anonymous, but they were cut off from the center of that religion for themselves. So the the only thing they had left was the community. You know, that was a, I mean, as, as I think about it, what do you do? You come to a new country and they've cut you completely off mm -hmm. from your ancestors and from the place of your ancestors, which is what animus religion is and um, and the other part of it is is that uh, you know how much of this comes out of the resistance to being slaves you yeah. know yeah it, yeah much of it it must have you know this was the way they survived you know yeah yeah um, it, it, it is and, and uh, Deborah go ahead um, <clears throat> excuse me it didn't just start with slavery. It was thousands of years before then, and it was leader in course because it was tribal. There was always a leader, and there was always a response of the community, which they brought here, and they didn't have the musical instruments. So we started off in the country with leader and chorus, and then we brought to the cities. We started making instruments and playing the instruments, and then we got a beat with that, and then that became gospel. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, which uh, leads me to my next argument. Um, before we go there, though, I, I would say that black church music is oral history with, mu with, with sound. It's, it's oral history with melody. So when you hear black music, whether it's hymnals, whether it's spiritual songs or psalms, you're hearing oral history passed down from generation to generation with melody. A story is being told in that melody. And it's a beautiful story, and we're going to listen to some of that a little later. But um, music is woven into the very fabric of the black church. I would argue, and the, the video I'm going to show next is going to argue the very same thing. I would argue that the black church does not exist. It's no different from any other entity that would claim to be the church besides its music. Its music is a defining characteristic of the black church. So let's listen to, to, this, uh, to this video. All of music in the black church. If you take music out of church, preaching is gonna cease, all of this other stuff is gonna cease. It's something about those songs that brings joy. Mm -hmm. It helps you to get over a lot of humps mm. that you're going through in your life. And, and it might be temporary, but we thank God for that temporary blessing. Mm -hmm. you, you follow what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. You know, 
Somebody in the choir might sing the old hymn, Amazing Grace, or whatever. But once uh, they sing it and it brings joy in your life, you might get up and go back home and uh, the burden is much lighter. Absolutely. Amen. 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 What is the relationship between singing and preaching? <laughs> um, singing the gospel has, you, you know, we, we put a melody to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the word is the word, no matter what. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, I once, I once was lost. But now, <laughs> I get happy. <laughs> Good. Right now, I was but now I <laughs> When you think about the difference between hymns and gospel and spirituals, a lot of that has to do with chronology, when things emerge, and also structure. Folk spirituals emerged during the period of enslavement. There's an identifiable structure there, but the words are interchangeable. Then we get into hymns. Hymns have this standard verse chorus structure, and that comes out of European hymnody. As we get into the blues era, we're taking this idea of the blues form in its lyrical structure and in its melodic structure and marrying that. So when you get to gospel hymns and gospel, you have the merger of all of those things. recording industry blossomed, blues and jazz artists who had been raised in the church inevitably borrowed from black religious music, cross-pollinating genres to create a brand new secular sound. But at the same time, black churches were doing the same thing in reverse, creating a style of their own with gospel innovators infusing the sacred with popular secular music. Uh, reaction. I know that's a lot to unpack, and I hope that we'll take some time to do that. Any, any initial reactions? Yes. Is it, yeah, okay. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to come tonight was somebody said a couple weeks ago when this uh, was announced, I don't know how you white people can sing without moving. <laughs> and I have thought of that I bet 50, 60, 70 times since then. And it, it is a part of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, jubilee, celebration, this ideal of celebration. Um, and, and, and there are some theological undertones of, under that. Uh, celebration for 
what is, what's to come, um, and the present, celebrating the present, that I'm here in the present. And if I am here now, there perhaps is a future for me. So it's celebrating present, the past, and the future. So there are things to celebrate. And, and so I wonder, as a community who knows struggle, survival, and resistance, this attitude of celebration, how do you garner that? I, I think that that's a beautiful thing, that this music is yet celebratory in spite of, right? Um, so any other thoughts? Yeah. Thank you. Then they, uh, you know, went into their like lyrical structure of the blues with the hymns and like how they made it their own, you know, rather than it just being this like northern thing, you know, they like turned it into something that was beautiful and special for their culture and, you know, their lives. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just so struck about how it's a lot about heart. And and the music is, as you said, it's very present so that one can sing their sadness as well as one can sing their joy. I think there's a sense in which there's a hope for a movement from where I am to the point of celebration and joy. You can sing your pain. Mm -hmm. in the, and so to me, it's a lot about heart and authenticity. Yeah, yeah. That, that you get to emote, which is something we don't do in, in our tradition very much. Um, but our tradition does make space for, for that. Often we just don't take advantage of it. We should. Uh, we should take advantage of it. I've been moved by deeply Anglican hymns, um, and I've been moved by this music. This is the music I grew up with. So when Pastor Shirley Caesar started singing Amazing Grace, um, it just makes me, it fills me with joy because it seems like when you sing it with that, that melodious sound with that soul. soul. when you allow yourself, open yourself up to feel in a, in a new and different way, um, those words come alive in, in a different way. Um, and, and am I saying that we should do that all the time? No, I'm saying that, but we should. At some point, we should. Um, because I, I grew up hearing my grandmother say, I wouldn't serve a God I couldn't feel sometime. That stuck with me, that I wouldn't serve a God that I couldn't feel sometime. Um, so what I, what I like to point out about that video is something that I alluded to earlier is the African cosmology. So you heard how um, this, this author, uh, that was Henry Louis Gates Jr. This is his book. I recommend you getting a copy of this book um, titled uh, The Black History. This is our story. This is our song. It's a really easy read. You can pick it up at your lo local uh, bookstore. <laughs> um, but he talked about and we'll move from slavery to into uh, segregation and into the 1920s. And you heard the evolution of blues, that those who grew up in the church started using what they heard in the church, the music, the sound, the soul of the church, and started putting it in blues music and jazz. The reverse happened. We took what we heard in the juke joint on Saturday <laughs> and put it to music on Sunday. And it made for something. So those lines 
And uh, Henry Louis Gates talks about Saturday night and Sunday morning and what that meant. That there is no, no difference between the music you hear on Sunday and the music you hear on Saturday night. They kind of walk together. They're held in this sort of tension um, together. And it made for a different religious experience. It made for a different uh, experience walking through the world. And so I think that that's a beautiful, once again, a beautiful thing. Um, so any questions? Could I just, <clears throat> not a question, but I'm excited that we're having this evening tonight to talk about the Church of the Black Church because on PBS that Henry Louis Gates is doing a thing on gospel next week. Yeah. Monday night and Tuesday night. And so I just think this is a great beginning to that. Absolutely. Oh, yes, he's better than me. That's the thing. <laughs> so Mother Rita is joining us online, and she said that black sacred music is experiential music, um, which is deeper than musical notes or what is on the page. She says, I heard someone say this music runs deep in the bones. Hmm. It does. How many, uh, let's do a test to see how deep it runs. How many, you, uh, how many hymns do you know by heart? You can pull up a finger. <laughs> Too many to count. Yeah, a bunch. A bunch. Um, do you ingest those? How deep do they, you let them run, right? How deep do you let them penetrate your soul? Think about that. The thing about black sacred music is that it gets down, as Mother Rita alluded to, in your bones. So I may not know the hymn that you know. But in black church music, because it's communal, experiential, and common, we can brush out and sing Amazing Grace. And most of us will know it. But... But, but what happens when we start to really inwardly digest music that we hear in church, hymni that we hear in church? What happens? How are we transformed? I think that that's the power of any music, is that it should run deep in our soul, pass our cerebral cortex down into our soul to transform us into the image of God. I think that that's the richness of any music. Say amen. Amen. <laughs> um, so, for the next, uh, our last half of the, our time together, um, I pulled something from online that uh, Henry Louis Gates did again. It's called the Black Church, and they put together a playlist um, with with music. And they put together some prompts. So I want us to listen to some music. Um, and then, really, I want you to think about how it makes you feel, what sounds are familiar, and what sounds are new to you, what, what emotions come up for you. And don't be afraid to lean into those a little bit. Let yourself feel something, a little bit of something. And, and share those. Be willing to share those and be vulnerable in this space. I, I invite you to that. Um, and then I'll share a little bit of history over some music. So the first one I'd like to share is Adam in the Garden. 
him and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are thou? Adam in the garden hiding, hiding, hiding. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding from the Lord. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding, hiding. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding from the Lord. Adam, where are thou? Adam, where are thou? Adam, where are thou? I say hiding from the Lord. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding, hiding. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding from the Lord. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding, hiding. Adam in the garden hiding, hiding from the Lord. Adam, where are thou? Adam, where are thou? Adam, where are thou? I say hiding from the Lord. All right. Any thoughts? <laughs> I absolutely love the use of um, the bodies in the song. You can hear like beatboxing in the background and mm -hmm. you can hear like the clapping and the tambourine. And like these are all physical things that they're all doing together. Like you said, like it's about oneness. And I really feel that in this song. They all come together and it's like they're feeding off of each other almost in the round and in just the way that they're singing. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts? Go for it. Absolutely. And that's a hallmark of African-American uh, song is that it was structured and built for the whole community to, to learn the music. So you didn't have and it, it was simple refrains like the one we heard. So the whole community, no matter what you you ad lib and you're still Adam in the garden. Right. <laughs> no matter what you said, um, because on one end, it was easy to to learn. And on the other end, it was teaching theology. Exactly. I was going to say that, that couldn't get into the biblical story better than that. You Absolutely. Know, little little kids in the in the congregation are going to hear that and they're going to know the story. Absolutely. And so um, let's go anymore before we go to another song. Um, anybody know Etta James? Yeah. All right. We're going to hear a little bit of Etta James. <laughs> Notice the the time of the period of the music. Oh, 
All right. <laughs> what are thoughts about that that song? Harriet Tubman wouldn't recognize it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, did you hear, did you notice the blues sound? <laughs> Deeply rooted in that music. Um, and what effect do you think that that has on the wider appeal of the music? Um, I feel like uh, at the time, you know, scat was a really big thing, like in blues and in, in uh, black culture. And so I feel like the piano almost emulates that. Like through the song, you can kind of hear them just wailing away. But it's almost like in an order that's not all the way put together. I don't know how else to explain it. It just kind of sounds like uh, scat. Improvisation. Like, yeah, improvisation. And it's really cool. What did it invoke a sense of faith in you about stealing away? If you remember the spiritual, mm -hmm. which was in the country, when they brought it to the city, that's what it sounded like. That's what it sounded like. So, so the great migration. Good segue, Deborah. You're helping me tonight. <laughs> that's why I love you. Uh, uh, so, the great migration brought from the south these sounds. And when they got to the north, there was more music, accessibility to, to, to clubs, um, juke joints. And they started to take the sound that they heard from the south and integrate it in the city. And also integrate in the church. And it started making this sound. This song reminds me, uh, and it reaches back to that Saturday night and Sunday morning. You don't know if you was, <laughs> it's Saturday night or Sunday morning. I think that that's a beautiful confluence there. Um, and it appealed to people. Um, it made people want to go to church. It made people want to go to the juke joint too. But it made people want to get up and go to church. It reminded them of something that their grandmother, their great-grandmother, had handed down to them. And so they, 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 this music is designed for you to latch on to it and hold on to it in, in some way or another. All right, let's go a little more modern. Go down a little further. And I want you to listen and hear, um, listen for an organ. And we'll talk about that a little bit in this song.
Did you hear the organ? That is a Hammond organ. Not a pipe organ, but a Hammond organ. Everybody ever heard of a Hammond organ? Yes. So when the Hammond organ was introduced and the black church got a hold of it, it changed everything. It revolutionized the sound of black church. The Hammond organ is still a staple in most black churches today. Um, it just did something to, to the sound, to the community. Um, and black church has mastered that, that organ sound um, and honed in on it. And so most renditions, uh, most modern choir music that you hear from black artists or black gospel artists are going to feature an organ like that one. I wish I could play it. Um, it, changed, it changed church world. It changed black church world. Um, the Church of God in Christ is the most, is the, um, the largest black Pentecostal movement in the country. And they have mastered using um, the Hammond organ in all of the worship services. Um, and so that's kind of their hallmark. Um, they're known for that. Any comments about that song? Um, the sound, its use, um, its structure. So I'm not a, I'm not a musical theorist, uh, but it's the sound. It's, uh, I grew up telling, hearing organists say, uh, or preachers say, make the organ talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it mimics the sound, the melodious, it accompanies the preacher in black church, um, the hoop um, is, is a style of preaching in black church that you get some in, black, in some black churches. But it accompanies the preacher and it adds melody to the preaching of God's word. Yes, Father? It, it all... Okay, we're good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There's a there's a jamming quality to this. It starts out, with, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't everybody start at the same time. It's a gathering. Yeah. Speed as it goes. And I suspect maybe that's the same. The Grateful Dead copied that same. Um. So so one of the things. Between the three uh, songs we've sampled, can you see how we started a cappella? And then, you know, that would have that been how uh, slavery, or the slaves would have sounded in the invisible institution um, when they're doing their own worship. And then we moved into uh, jazz and blues. And then this song is more modern, um, more contemporary, where you've got big choirs and you get into solo artists and, and you get into um, three-part harmonies and things like that. So the music gets more complex um, as time goes on. Yes? You know what I mean? Like when you're uh, listening to the song, you can hear the little like imperfections and all of the things that make it so special, you know, like the things that touch the people's hearts, you know, some of those imperfections are probably what makes people come to tears. So it's just really nice to see those included and not taken out. It feels like, you know, you embrace the togetherness rather than like trying to um, like define the individual like in the song. And it's really, really nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Any anyone else before we go speed it up a little bit? That's not the one, sorry. <laughs> that one. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My burden down. My burden down. Glory, glory. Glory, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My burden down. Does it want you to clap your hands? <laughs> Once again, easy refrain. Mm -hmm. um, very few musical accompaniments, um, more voice projecting. Uh, you want to hear the voices and the, 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 the people singing in the background. Um, and so that was a style, quartet-ish um, style of music that you, you started to see. Um, and some of that is still preserved today. Um, once again, that easy refrain, that was important because we want to, everybody to get it. This is participatory, communal. You're joining in, <laughs> right? Which is important for our tradition. Um, because how many of our churches have choirs, right? So you got to learn the music, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to learn music. We've got to figure out a way to make our music come alive that can attract everybody and join in. Because even in, in our tradition, our worship is participatory. It is. We kneel, we genuflect, we bow. That's all fully engaging your body. Um, and so... I think the importance of this conversation um, is that, one, to expose us to what else is there in the world, um, how others are celebrating and experiencing God, and where does it fit in your faith journey? How can you come alongside those who are listening to this type of music and engaged in struggle, engaged in, in resistance? What is this music communicating, right? What theology is it communicating? What are we learning about each other? What are we learning about ourselves? Listening to this type of music. Because um, isn't that what music should do? It, it is to make us think. Good music makes you think. Beyond feeling good, it makes you, makes you think. All right? Any questions? All right. My closing remarks is, does, does anybody know what this book is? Live every voice to sing. I wanted to bring this out because I wanted you to know that this is a this is an authorized hymn of our church, um, and it is important. It's important um, that we recognize that this is a part of our church. It's a part of our church tradition, um, and there is some wonderful music in here. Um, one of my favorite music musical pieces is by James Weldon Johnson. Lift every voice and sing. Uh, who was my fraternity brother uh, before I became, he was a Sigma. I'm a, I, he was a Sigma. Um, 
But lift every voice and sing. Live every voice and sing. Um, and it was first a poem, and then his brother put music to it. Um, and it's a beautiful testament of survival and resistance in our church. Father, Father Jeff? Um, uh, an anecdote about St. Andrews. Um, I had somebody come up to me the other day and said, what is that leave us that we keep seeing in the bulletin? What is that leave us? We don't have the copies of Lift Every Voice, but we sing from it pretty much every week. Yeah. And like, well, that's, you know, we don't spill it out, but it's actually this hymnal. Then, and they're like, it, it, what church is that from? I said, it's, it's from our church. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that we kind of reach to the edge of the black experience when we sing those songs and we hear it when in fact the choir sings and then the congregation applauds. Yeah. And that's, the, the choir is getting some emotional response from the congregation, more so than when we sing Methodist hymns. Well, my wife's <laughs> 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 Um. But this, this hymn is a, as a hymn of our church. I, I treasure it um, because it, it represents um, the history of our church, of being a church that was segregated and, and being a church that didn't receive, and now you're receiving music. Um, it's telling. It's telling of, of our commitment for racial, racial healing and racial justice. And when we sing it, we're practicing that. We're practicing racial healing and reconciliation because music has the power to heal. Um, in the civil rights movement, we didn't talk about tonight, but the civil rights movement took music. Um, it was the soundtrack of the movement. Gospel music was the soundtrack of the movement. Um, we Shall Overcome was born out of the civil rights movement. Um, and so music has the capacity to heal. And why not lean into that um, and experience that healing for all of us? Um, and I, I yield back my time and I'll play uh, a little bit of uh, Louis Armstrong because we're in the city of jazz and so why not? <laughs> it's not going to cooperate, I don't think. Oh, there it is. Sisters and brothers, this is Reverend Satchmo getting ready to beat out this fellow sermon for you. My text this evening when the saints go marching in. Here come Brother Hickenbottom down the aisle with his trombone. Blow it, boy. Go marching in, 
Thank you all for inviting me. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I yield back my time. <laughs> we don't want you to yield back. <laughs> we, we, we don't. We, we, we can listen to you all night, CJ. Thank you so much. Thank you. CJ, for, for your, just the inspiration tonight. Re really, I appreciate it. Um, so next week, we will wrap up our Music and Faith series with Rabbi Londi. He will come visit with us about Jewish sacred music. So hope to see you back next week and maybe go enjoy a little bit of the evening since we're having such spring-like weather. It's not bitterly cold. So with that, everyone, drive safe. You're going to share your playlist with me? <laughs>